Tell you, I love Life Church Westchester. You guys are my sending church. I don't know if you guys know that, but when we decided to go missions, even though we've been doing inner city ministry for the, the past 16 years, when we decided to go through the assemblies of God and become official U.S. missionaries, this is our sending church. And so thank you guys so much for sending us, for believing in us. And for ushering us into the mission field. Amen? Amen. Turn your Bibles this morning to Exodus chapter 3. Or actually, let's start off in chapter 2. What happened to my worship team? My worship team. No, that's a powerful worship team, brother. Powerful worship team. I just had a vision. You know, and, and it's perfect. It's a perfect setting. I just want to say thank you, first of all, for the Bridge the Gap family that came here today. Thank you so much for joining us. I really believe that God has a prophetic word for this house and for you individually today. You know, but as the text is being set, I just had a vision as we were singing that song. I never heard it before. It says, you're not a powerless God. You are a powerful God. You are not a powerless God. You are a powerful God. And can you imagine if you was a slave for 400 years? If you was in bondage for 400 years? If you've been abused all of your life and that's all you've known was abuse, that's all you've known was pain, that's all you've known was slavery, and then you see God bring Moses on the scene and how God brought miraculous signs upon the land of Egypt and, and upon Pharaoh, and how God brought them out with a mighty right hand. How God saved them and delivered them from slavery, from bondage, from pain. How many of you guys have that experience? How, how God has brought you out of slavery. How God has brought you out of pain. Maybe you was abused. Maybe you was beating. Maybe you didn't raise up in a great environment, but God saved you. God brought you out, and God delivered you with a mighty right hand. Do I have a witness in the house? And I could see as they coming out of slavery for 400 years, they just got set free. And they're singing that song. You're not a powerless God. You are a powerful God. You are not a powerless God. You are a powerful God. With the gold in their hand, with the Egyptians' riches in their hand, they are coming out of slavery singing, you are a powerful God. You are a powerful God. Then we begin to sing, even when we don't understand it. When we, I don't know exactly what is said, but even when we don't understand it, we're still going to praise him. We're still going to praise him. So they were free. They were out of bondage. They were out of Egypt. They were singing a song, but yet they come to the Red Sea, and the enemy, Pharaoh, and the Egyptians changed their mind, and they begin to pursue them, and now their song has to change once again. They're boxed in. The mountains are on both sides of them. Pharaoh and, and the chariots are behind them. And the Red Sea is in front of them. Everywhere they look is chaos. And there, it looks like they got set free, but now they go back again. And so I, I could see them, and it wasn't their song, but it should have been. Lord, I don't understand, but I still praise you. Lord, I don't understand. I see the mountains. I see Pharaoh and the chariots. I see the Red Sea. I thought you saved us. God, I thought you delivered us. God, I thought you brought us out. But here we are, boxed in. God, I don't understand it, but I still praise you. I'll never forget losing our son coming home from an outreach eight and a half years ago to find our own son shot and killed in our own basement. And we was in the season of victory. We had ministries all over Cincinnati reaching the hurting, the hopeless, the hungry, the addicted, and the afflicted. We had 15 outreaches a week reaching 1,700 people, but yet I come home to find our own son shot to death in our basement. 
And it's at those times in our, those seasons of our life, you got to have a song. God, this doesn't make sense to me. And God, I don't understand it, but I'm going to praise you anyway. God, this hurts me. God, I don't want to bury my son, but I still love you. God, I still praise you. God, I still worship you. God, I still believe that you are God. Do I have a witness in the house? Then a year later, I get through that, and then I get a call about losing our grandson to SIDS. And once again, the song's got to come out. God, I don't understand this, but I still praise you. You're not a powerless God. You are a powerful God. Amen? This brings us to the text today. Exodus chapter 2, verse number 11. So, Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord. So, Father, I pray that this is not just a pretty message. But today, Father, I am praying for the anointing. I am praying for the power of God to come in this place, the Shekinah glory to come among us today, Father, that none of us will leave the same way we came. But God, would you come in your power? Would you come in your glory? Would you come with your anointing? May the presence of God fill this place today. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, and everybody said, Amen. Exodus chapter 2, verse number 11. Now, I'm reading out of the net version. I love the New England translation, and I believe the NIV, so it's going to be a little different. But look at verse number 11. It said, in those days, when Moses had grown up, he's 40. Everybody say 40. He went out to his people and observed their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian man attacking a Hebrew man one of his own people. He looked this way and he looked that way. Well, that's a good uh, sure sign that when you got to look over your shoulder, you're probably about ready to do something that's not right. I'm going to say it again. When you got to look over your shoulder to see who's looking, to see who can see you, it's a sure sign that you are about to sin. He looked this way, he looked that way, he saw no one was there. And then he attacked and killed the Egyptian and then concealed the body in the sand. A murderer. Forty years old, Moses knew he was called. He knew he was chosen. He knew that God has chosen him to be a deliverer. But yet he got in the flesh. He got ahead of God. He ended up killing someone, and then he tried to bury it. That takes us 40 years later to the next chapter, chapter 3, verse number 1. Now Moses was shepherding a flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert. Everybody say far side. And came to the mountain of God to Horeb. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from within a bush. He looked, and the bush was ablaze with fire, but it was not being consumed. So Moses thought, I will turn aside to see this amazing sight. Why does the bush burn up, does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, The Lord said, hey, I got his attention. The fire got his attention. God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. God said, do not approach any closer. Take off your sandals off your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground. He added, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of our taskmasters. I know their sorrows. 
And I have come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up from a land that is both good and spacious. It is a land flowing with milk and honey to the regions of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Hevites, the Jebusites. And now indeed the cry of the Israelites have come up to me. I have seen how severely the Egyptians have oppressed them. So now, suddenly, everybody say suddenly. So now go, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I have chosen to title the message today from a murder to a missionary. From a murder. 40 years ago, encounters the fire of God and becomes a missionary. Missionary means sent one. Moses is being sent. It says, I am sending you. I have called you. I have chosen you. I have anointed you for such a time as this. And you will be my missionary. To set my people free. Let's take another look at Exodus 3.1 once again. Now Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and led the flock to the far side of the desert. The far side. Like I said, Moses knew that God's hand was upon him. Moses knew that he was God's chosen instrument to bring deliverance and got ahead of God, murdered someone, and then hides it up, and then he runs for his life. Here in the text, we find Moses on the far side of the desert. I believe that he was running for his life because the scripture said he was afraid. Moses felt like a failure. Moses felt like he messed up. I come today to talk to some people that feels like they have messed up. I come to talk to people today that feels like you have failed. Has anybody in the house ever felt like a failure? When we lost our 19-year-old only son, I felt like a failure. There's been several times in my life that I have gotten ahead of God. I've gotten in the flesh. I messed up. I sinned. I failed. And every time, I feel like a failure. Here, this mighty man of God, Moses, is living in the sense of failure and defeat. For 40 years, he's hiding out, and he's on the backside of the desert. This is the far side. I come to tell you today that no matter how far you go, no matter where you go, God still knows where you live. God knows your name, and God knows your address. He knows where to find you, and he will pursue you. How many of you guys are grateful that God does not just leave you alone, but he will pursue you? Moses felt like God was done with him. But thank God that God never leaves us. Thank God that he said, I'm with you always. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Thank God that when he calls you, when he's chosen you, that there's nothing that you could do because the giftings and the calling of God are irrevocable. He who has called you, he who has chosen you, he which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He is the author, and he is the finisher of my faith. He is the author, and he is the finisher of your faith. If he started a work, he's going to complete it. Do I have a witness in the house? Now, this is kind of expository. We're just going down verse by verse, and I'm going to hit as many as we can. Verse number two. 
the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire from within the bush. Everybody say fire. Fire represents the presence of God. Fire represents the glory of God. Fire represents the tangible presence and the power of God. You're not a powerless God. You are a powerful God. Can I tell you something? When the fire comes down, his presence comes down. When his fire comes down, his glory comes down. When his fire comes down, it is his manifestation of his presence. Amen. Do I have a witness? You see, when God was going to give his people the law, when Moses went up to Mount Sinai and he was fasting and praying and seeking the face of God for 40 days and 40 nights, the Bible said that God came down on that mountain with an earthquake and shook it with his glory. God said that not only with an earthquake, but he came with lightning and he came with fire. The glory came upon the mountain. The presence of God came upon the mountain. Do I have a witness in the house? You see, not only on Mount Sinai, but when God was going to lead his people, God said he's going to lead them with a cloud by day and a fire by night. The fire, the presence of God. Can I tell you something? We got to be spirit led in everything that we do, in our worship, in our preaching, and in our service to God. We have got to be led by the fire of God. We got to be led by the presence of God. We got to be spirit led. Amen. When they built a tent, it was called the meeting tent. The tabernacle, they built a tent for God to dwell in. And the Bible said that when they built the tent, that the glory of God, the Shekinah glory would come down in the tent. God would show up in fire. Amen? Years later, when Elijah, Eliyahu, which means my God is Yahweh, that's Elijah, shows up on the scene, confronts King Ahab and Jezebel. And God said, I want you to go hide at, at the brook Cherith. I, I could preach on this stuff all day long. I love this Second Kings, First Kings 17 and 18. And then he was there at the brook, and then God sends him to Zerphath, and, and then he goes to Mount Carmel where he confronts the people of God that were living in complacency. A lot, a lot like America today, they're living in complacency. And God is bringing us to a place where we got to make a decision. And Elijah stood up and said, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? If God is God, then serve God. But if Baal is God, then go serve your Baals. And the God who answers by fire, let him be God. And the fire fell. Can I tell you what we need in our churches today? We, we need the fire. Can I tell you what we need in the White House? We need the fire. Can I tell you what we need in our cities and in our towns? We need the fire. We need the presence of God. We need the power of God. We need the glory of God to fall upon us. This ain't just some kind of ritual. We're here today so that we can encounter the presence of God in our lives. Everybody say fire. Me and my wife, for the first time in our lives, or my life, I know you were raised with a fireplace. But we bought a home in, in Harrison, Ohio, about 14 months ago, and it had a fireplace in it. So this winter, because of electric prices and the gas prices, we decided we was going to go out and get a fireplace insert. And so we put an insert into our fireplace, and for the last three months, I have been learning about how to start a fire, how to keep the fire burning. 
And one thing that I've learned is that it doesn't matter how much wood I put in the fireplace. It doesn't matter how big that flame gets. If I go several hours and I don't put another log on the fire, it don't matter how big it was. It don't matter how hot that fire was. The fire will go out. It's sad to see some Christians today and some people that I used to know, they, at one time, they used to burn with his glory. They had the fire. They had the presence of God. They had the glory of God upon them, but they quit feeding the fire. Many times in my own Christian life, there's times and seasons that I get complacent and I get a little lukewarm and God says, it's time to put another log on the fire. I come to tell you as brothers and sisters, don't let the fire go out. Don't let the fire go out. Put another log on the fire. When you get in his word, you're putting a log on the fire. When you worship the Lord, you're putting another log on the fire. When you go to church and worship him, you're putting another log on the fire. Don't let the fire go out. Life Church is, Westchester is a known for a place of his presence. Is known for the fire. It's known for the glory. But I come to tell you that we can put the more wood on the fire. We can get it hotter. You may be on fire for God, but I say let's go deeper. Let's get in and seek the face of God so that we can encounter his fire. Do I have an amen? amen. On the day of Pentecost, when God was going to birth the church, we just experienced the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He appears to the 500 and he says, I don't want you to do any more ministry. I want you to shut down everything. I need you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to pray. I want you to tarry. I want you to seek my face because I'm about to send a promise. I'm about to send a Holy Spirit. And the Bible said that they were together in one place and one accord seeking the face of God for 10 days. Everybody say 10 days. They were hungry. They were desperate for a move of God. They got together and they prayed. No chicken dinner. No Bengals playing. I'm going to be watching the game, and I promise I'll have you out of here before kickoff. Kickoff is at 630. They were seeking the face of God for 10 days, crying out for the promise. And God send a fire. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushy mighty wind as fire. And it set upon each of them. And they were all, everybody say all. Feel what the Holy Spirit began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. What God was doing to Moses is God was saying, yes, I'm going to send you back to Egypt. You're going to deliver my people. You're going to set my people free. But before you can do that, before you can accomplish that, you are going to need my fire. So the first thing that God does is he comes in his fire. Yes? Let's go on to the next one, verse number four. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside, I got his attention. God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. This has to do with the voice of God. Everybody say voice of God. You see, the first thing that happened was the fire of God, but out of the fire came the voice of God. Can I tell you something? If you want to hear the voice of God, you got to get near the fire of God. I'm going to say it again. If you want to hear the voice of God, you got to get near the fire of God because in the fire is not only his presence, it's not only his glory, it's not only his essence, but in the fire is the voice of God. 
We got to position ourselves to hear the voice of God. We got to get in position and say, Lord, here, speak to me. I need to hear your voice. And we get close to the fire. And when we get close to the fire, we begin to hear his voice. It was just recently, just recently, that I was crying out to God and said, I begin to cry, God, would you feel me? God, would you please feel me? And the Lord said, I can't. The Lord says, you're already full of yourself. You see, if you have a cup that is completely filled, and I say, would you feel my cup? You would have to say, well, I can't fill your cup unless you empty it. And the Lord was challenging me that if I really wanted to be filled with his presence, if I really wanted to be filled with his glory, then I needed to empty myself and allow him to fill me with his spirit. And I begin to position myself, and I begin to empty myself, and I begin to cry out to God, and guess what? He refreshed me. He renewed me. He began to fill me once again. Amen. We need the voice of God 13 times in the New Testament. Jesus says, he that have an ear, let him hear. 13 times, five times in the Gospels. Eight times, five and eight, I could preach on that. Eight times in the book of Revelation. In Revelation, he was speaking to the churches. In the Gospels, he was speaking to individuals. I come to tell you that the Lord is always speaking, but we got to tune in. Sometimes in order to tune in, we got to tune out. Sometimes you say, well, how come I can't hear the voice of God? How come I don't hear the Lord speaking to me? It may be that you have not positioned yourself to hear the voice of God. Maybe you have not gotten close to the fire of God, or it could be that you have too much noise in the background for the Lord to speak to you. Everybody say solitude. We got to fast. We got to pray. We got to seek the face of God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. If you are one of God's sheep, he says, I will speak to you. Let's go to verse number five. God said, do not approach any closer. Take off your sandals off of your feet. I almost said take off your feet. Take off your sandals off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. This word holy in Hebrew is kadosh. 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 It means separated from that which is evil. God said, I am a holy God. And guess what? When we get close to the fire of God... When we truly encounter the fire, when we truly encounter the presence of God in our lives and the glory of God, and we begin to hear his voice, the next thing he'll begin to do is deal with the sin that is in our life. He says, take off your sandals. You're in holy ground. I come to tell you that God is a holy God. He said, be ye holy because I, the Lord, am holy, I, and which means separated from that which is evil. Don't tell me you've been in the fire. Don't tell me that you've been close to the presence of God and continue to live in sin. When we get in the fire and get close to the, to the fire of God, God will begin to strip us of the sin in our lives. We won't want that alcohol in our refrigerators no more because I, I got to keep the fire in my life. I got to keep hearing his voice. We won't want those drugs and those and sexual immorality in our lives. Why? Because we got to keep the fire hot in our lives. Amen? The fire of God, the holiness of God. 1 Peter 1.16, be holy for I am holy. 2 Corinthians 6.17 and 18 says, come out, wherefore come out from among them and separate, holy. Separate yourself. 
Come out from among them and separate yourself, says the Lord God Almighty, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to me, to you. You will be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty. We got to come out from among them, amen? It says, love not the world, neither the things in the world. If any man love the world, the love of a father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they are not of the Father, but they are of this world. Everybody say holiness. I still believe in holiness. And when we encounter the fire of God, we walk different. When we truly encounter the fire of God, we talk different. When we truly encounter the fire of God, we don't go to the same places that we used to go to. We don't look at the same things that we used to. to why? Because the fire in his fire is the holiness of God. Amen. Let's go to verse number six. So we have the fire of God. We have the voice of God. We have the holiness of God. Verse number six. He added, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. See, when we truly encounter the fire of God, when we really get in his presence, we discover the deity of Christ, the character of God, who he is. He reveals himself just who he is. We get to know that he is a saving God. The Bible said he's able to save them to the uttermost. And as we get into the fire, we find out that he could save any person. It doesn't matter how far they go or how lost they are. They are not out of the reach of Jesus Christ. It said it's not his will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And when we get in his presence, we discover that he is a saving God, that he is a healing God, that he is a delivering God, that he is a forgiving God. When we get into fire and in his presence, amen? He is a providing God. He is a protecting God. It's when we get in his presence and get in his fire that we discover who he is. You see, when he got in the fire, that's where God really revealed himself to Moses in the fire. Then we go on to verse number seven. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt I have heard their cry because of her taskmasters, and I know their sorrows. Three words, seen, heard, known. Seen, heard, known. I've seen their afflictions. I've heard their cries. I know their sorrows. Some of you have been crying out to God. I come to tell you that God sees, that God has heard. God knows what you are dealing with right now. He knows what you're going through. He knows what your struggles are. And here we find out the heart of God. Everybody say heart of God. You see, when we truly get into the fire of God, we begin to learn the heart of God. God's heart was breaking for his people. God's heart was breaking for the Jewish people and saying, they are in slavery. They are in bondage. My heart is broken. I want to heal them. I want to save them. I want to deliver them. And God begins to reveal his heart to Moses when Moses got near the fire. You see, we get to know the heart of God when we get in the fire. Amen? He begins to break our hearts. Everything, we've been doing ministry for 16 years, and there's not been one ministry that we have started that has not started in brokenness, that has not started in anguish over what was going on in our inner cities. You're just looking at someone that made caskets for 20 years, welding and grinding caskets. But God broke my heart for the homeless. He began to show me that they, in the wintertime, many of them had no coats on. They were getting set on fire 16 years ago by gangs. They were getting beat up by baseball bats. And God began to reveal his heart to me. And I was broken. 
I was so broken that I had to do something about it. So five days a week after making caskets for 12 hours a day, me and my wife and our children would make hot chocolate and chili, head to Cincinnati and feed and preach and minister to hundreds of homeless people five days a week. I was so broken that it was sometimes 3, 4, 5 a.m. in the morning, we were still on the streets loving, feeding, and ministering to the homeless because we were so broken. There were some times that I had to even be dropped off at the, my workplace to work a whole nother day without sleep because we were ministering on the streets because I got close to the fire. And when I got close to the fire, God began to reveal his heart for the homeless. And then God began to break my, my wife's heart. Several years later, we had huge ministries feeding and ministering all over Cincinnati to the homeless. But God began to break my wife's heart for the women that were on the street corners, addicted to heroin and crack and meth, selling their bodies for $20. We knew, we knew nothing about homeless ministries, but we were broken. We knew nothing about how to reach these women in sex trafficking, but she was broken. And out of that brokenness, we begin to just do what we could. We begin to grab volunteers and food resources and go out to the street corners. And one by one, she began to rescue them. But that ministry was birthed in anguish. And it was birthed in brokenness because we got close to the fire of God. Then it was years later we had homeless ministries all over. We had children's, uh, we had prostitution ministry all over. And then God began to break our heart for the children and lower price heel. You used to go down there and serve with me every Thursday. Guns running around, dope being slinged all over the streets. And these kids were running around in diapers as gunshots are being going off. And God showed us those kids and said, who's going to reach the kids in the hood? Who's going to reach these kids in the project? And once again, out of the fire came the brokenness. And so we began to go to these places. And it wasn't long that we had, we was going out to five different places every Thursday night, reaching children all over Cincinnati, but it came out of brokenness because we got close to the fire of God. Amen. You see, God called us to Phoenix, Arizona six years ago. We turned a bar into a church and started busting in the homeless two blocks away from 22,000 homeless people, but it was birthed out of brokenness. Then it was a few years later, God told us to start a women's home. I had no money. I, I had no money. And God said, I want you to open a home to rescue homeless pregnant women. And God was not looking for my money. God was looking for my obedience. God was looking for my willingness. And me and my wife said, yes, we will open a women's home and we will rescue homeless pregnant women. And then a multi-dollar millionaire bought us a quarter million dollar home, rent free, gave us the first $50,000 to get started. We begin to rescue over a dozen homeless pregnant women that were living behind a trash dumpster, nine months pregnant. Some of them overdue. We brought them into this home. We got them their GEDs. We got them their children back. They had healthy babies. We got them jobs. We furnished their apartments today. I get to watch them on Facebook and watch them what they're doing for the Lord. But it was birthed out of brokenness. It was birthed in anguish. And this was right before COVID hit. We rescued women for almost a whole year. And then one week before COVID hit, I was almost completely out of money again. But guess what? God's will, God's bill. Money has never moved me. The only thing that I got to ask, is this what the Lord wants us to do? That's the only thing. Don't look at the resources. Don't look at anything else because all of that will come once you say yes. One week before COVID, almost out of money, and I had an engagement in Roswell, New Mexico, where they believe in aliens. I went to a church called Waymaker. I spoke eight minutes. 
I walked out of there with a check, $67,550. That sustained our women's home. That sustained our inner, inner city church. That sustained our outreaches while all the other churches were shutting down. We grew. We began to multiply. We kept rescuing people. Amen? For the glory of God. When you get close to the fire today, God's going to break your heart for what breaks his. Break your heart for the widows. May God break your heart for the widows. May God break your heart for the orphans. May God break your heart for what breaks his today. Let's go to the next point, verse number eight. I have come down to deliver them. So God had his, his heart. Now this is God's plan. The fire of God. The voice of God, the holiness of God, the deity of God, the heart of God, the plan of God. I have come down to deliver them from the land of Egypt, to bring them up from the land to a land that is both good and spacious, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. God said, here's my plan. I'm going to bring them out, and I'm going to bring them in. I'm going to bring them out of slavery. I'm going to bring them out of bondage. I'm going to bring them out of their pain. And I'm going to bring them into a land of milk and honey. Not only do I have a heart, not only have I seen, not only have I heard their prayers, not only do I know what they're going through, but God said, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to deliver them. I got a plan. I'm going to set them free. I'm going to bring them out. God has a plan for you. It doesn't matter how bound you are. It doesn't matter how addicted you are. It doesn't matter how hopeless it is. God has a plan to bring you out. Glory. And when he brings you out, he's not going to leave you there. He's going to bring you in to something good. For I know the plans I have towards you, saith God. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in the future. Let's go on to verse. I'm almost out of time. I got to keep going. I got several points here. It says, I got some good news and I got some bad news. The good news is I only have Five pages of notes. The bad news, I normally only have one. <laughs> the call of God. The call of God. Not only the heart of God. I'm broken. I see my people. Not only the plan of God. I'm going to bring them out. I'm going to bring them in. But now, the call of God. Verse number 10. So now go, and I, I will send you. I will send you. An ex-murderer. Someone that feel like they were forgotten. Uh, Forty years on the backside of a desert. Uh, my heart is broken for my people that are in Egypt. I got a plan for them. I'm going to bring them out, and I'm going to bring them in. And here is the call. I'm going to use you to do it. You are my instrument. You are the one I have chosen you. And here I come to tell you today that Jesus, several thousand years later, says, as the Father have sent me, so send I you. We're all called. We are all missionaries. We all have been sent from God, and we live in a hurting and dying world. There's people around the corner that is shooting up on fentanyl right now, and here we are having church. And I say, let's have church, but I tell you that when we leave, it's time to be the church. The anointing is not just for the four walls of a church. This is where we come to hear God's word. This is where we come to worship God. This is where we come to seek God. But when we leave, we are to carry the power. We are to carry the presence. We are to carry the very essence of God to a hurting and dying world. God said, I'm hurting for the addicts. I'm hurting for those that are lost out there. And I have a plan for them. I'm going to bring them out and I'm going to bring them in. And God says, I'm going to use you to do it. You don't have to be an apostle. 
You don't have to be a prophet. You don't have to be the evangelist. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a teacher. The anointing of God is upon you. The power of God is upon you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Everybody say power. He was talking about the power of God. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's the fire. That's the power. That's the glory. That's the anointing. He recognized. Do you recognize that the anointing is on you? He recognized that the anointing was on him. But guess what? Much power, much responsibility. And Jesus understood, hey, I have power. I have the anointing. The glory is upon me. But it comes with an assignment. It's not just so that you can shake. It's not just so that we can dance and and do our flags. and, And I love all of this stuff. Yes, we need to shake. And we need to bake in his presence. Shake and bake. But guess what? The anointing is more than shake and bake. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of a sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are bruised. Yes, I'm anointing. Yes, I have the power. Yes, the glory is upon me. But it's to make a difference in a hurting and dying world. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, and you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Everybody say power. But with that power comes a responsibility, and ye shall be my witnesses. This word means martyrs. (laughs) You shall be, you're going to lay down your lives. You're going to be my witnesses. And it starts in Jerusalem. Everybody say Jerusalem. That's where we live. That's Westchester. God said, I'm going to give you my power. The anointing is going to come upon you. Why? So that we can win Westchester for Jesus Christ. This is our Jerusalem. And then after we not only going to have local outreaches, but then He said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And God's saying, not only are you going to make a difference and an impact in Westchester, but God says you're going to have an impact in Cincinnati. You're going to have an impact in Dayton. You're going to have an impact in the United States. And you're going to have an impact globally. Amen? And when we get close to the fire and learn the heart of God, guess what happens? God has already given us a strategy. He's already given us a plan, and that is through world missions. Everybody say world missions. We have an opportunity to reach people in Africa and Asia and Australia and all over the world. Everybody say world missions. That's why these faith promises are so important, because we're going to reach the unreached. We're going to reach people where the gospel has not even been preached. There's not one Bible has been seen, but yet we are going to give missionaries the ability. We are going to give them the resources to reach people that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everybody say world missions. We're going to have local impact because we're going to have local outreaches. We're going to have world impact because we're going to give to world missionaries. And if you're not given to a world missionary, can I tell you something? You need to get back to the fire of God. Because when we get close to the fire of God, we learn the heart of God. And God's heart is for the world. For God so loved the world. Amen. And not only are we going to have local impact, world impact, but we're going to have national impact. We're going to be concerned about U.S. missionaries, people that are on the front lines right here in America. 
Now, I'm not preaching this because of me, because you guys already support me, so I've been set free. Thank you for supporting me. I am one of your missionaries, but I come to challenge you. Last year, you gave $50,000, but can I tell you something? The time is late. Jesus is coming. There's work to be done, and I say let's give it a little further this year. Amen? Why? Because it's not his will that any should perish, but all come to repentance. One more thing. I've been going 50 minutes. I got one more minute and I'm done. Beep, 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 beep. (laughs) Can I tell you something? God's heart is breaking right now. And we can make a difference. We can make an impact. God is not looking for your resume. You see, if you would have asked Moses 40 years ago, this is all in my notes, I don't have time to preach it, but I'm going to preach a little bit of it anyway. You would have asked Moses 40 years ago, he would have said, I'm your man, I'm gifted, I'm smart. Sign me up, look at my resume. You know what a resume is? You write it telling how good you are, how gifted you are, how anointed you are. I, I, had a, I did a resume one time because I've worked at Batesville Casket, like I said, Aurora Casket, 20 years, 67 job skills, and I wrote a resume, and I put on her all the gifts and all, all my abilities, and, and I got back after I looked at the resume, and I printed it off. I said, my God, who is this one? I want to hire him. <laughs> a resume is about what you say about yourself. God is not looking for your resume. Here he is. He failed. He was a murderer. He ended up trying to cover it up, and now 40 years later, he don't feel qualified. He don't feel like he's God's man anymore, and God said, that's perfect. You're my man. You see, when you feel qualified, you're not qualified. When you feel not qualified, you're qualified. People come down to our ministry all the time, and they, they think they're God's gift to the world. They want the microphone. They want to let everybody know how smart they are, how anointed they are. I tell them, sit down. You know what? The, the one that's ready to serve behind the food lines, the ones that are not asking for the mic, those are the ones that are probably ready. I said, come over here and get the mic, testify. Elijah was a perfect example. He, he told, like I said, he went up to King Ahab, it's not going to rain unless I give the word. And God said, go hide yourself. Everybody say, hide yourself. When he wanted to show himself, God says, no, go hide yourself. I still got to circumcise you. I got to take you to the brook. I got to cut on you. I got to put you in the fire. So, so much in that message. Then I'm going to send you to the enemy's camp, Zerfaf. There was a process. Everybody say process. Then three and a half years go by. Has it rained in three and a half years? And God shows up now. He, he don't want to be seen. He's hiding. Every, all the prophets are hiding now. And God says, go show yourself. Go hide yourself. Three and a half years later, go show yourself. And when you want to show yourself, God says, go hide yourself. And God, when you're ready to hide yourself, God said, it's time to go show yourself. And I come to tell you today, it's time. It's time to be seen. It's time to be heard. you got to come to the place that the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, and we are going to give to U.S. missions like never before. We're going to give to world missions like never before. We're going to sign up for local outreaches to be effective right here in Cincinnati like never before. The God of angel armies fire.